Hello everyone, um, it's Shahid here from The Creative Floor. This is our fourth podcast. Um, we're actually on iTunes now, so you can go and listen to it on there and subscribe. So, you know, 2019 and all that. So we've got a really, really brilliant um, guest today. We have Don Merchant, who is um, founder and chief creative officer of the ARC Agency. Hello, Dom. Hello, Shahid. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Very good on this sunny Friday morning. Um, so just sort of for transparency, I suppose, um, we're friends, right? <laughs> I think. Well, I like uh, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think we met each other um, for the first time about six years ago at Cannes, right? Yeah. I don't think it was as long as six years ago, but it was, the, I think it oh, was five. the... It, yeah, it was the second ever Can Lions Health, I think. Okay, yeah, yes, about five years ago. And we were both judging on pharma, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think what I found quite amazing and quite interesting about speaking to you was that you had actually, as a creative person, um, actually started your own agency completely on your own. And um, I think at the time, had you sold it? I, I, was, uh, I was in earnout. You were in an earnout. That's yeah. right. That's right. You were in an earnout, and and then I think I met you about a few weeks ago. Yeah. And you were told you were telling me all about how you came out to the end of your earnout, made a lot of money. I guess you didn't tell me how much money you made, but I guess a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. On that. No, no, I don't, I don't want to know. Obviously, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. If you want to give us some secrets on how to be a multi-billionaire on this podcast, that'd be amazing. I but, wish I could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get, we'll get it out of you. We'll okay. Get it out of you. And, um, and then you've now set up your second um, independent agency called ARC, but, which is absolutely just phenomenal and quite incredible. But I think before we get to where you are today and, and, and you know, how far you've come, I think just for anyone who listens to this, I think it'd be really inspirational just to find out a little bit about how you started out and, and, and how you did what you did to get to where you are today. Is, is that okay? Yeah. So uh, it's, 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 it's going to be a different one to most creatives, I think, um, because uh, I think first and foremost, I am a bit of a fraud. Um, you know, I didn't go to art college. I didn't study any graphic design or anything that the typical creative directors, such as your, yourself, Shahid, and the many other great uh, creatives that work in healthcare have typically done. I, I actually uh, graduated with a degree in classics, uh, which uh, for Anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's, uh, and I wouldn't blame you if you didn't know, <laughs> uh, it's ancient Greek and Latin. Um, oh, my God. So obviously a passport to any career you want, uh, that kind yeah. of degree. Where did you do that? I did that at Exeter University, um, oh, wow. uh, which was a great university uh, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed the course. But uh, when I graduated, I found it incredibly difficult to, to get a job. Um, I'd always been interested in uh, design, but I would say creative work with a marketing edge. So I, I fell into marketing, if you will, for a big publishing yeah. firm. Um, and this was 94. And uh, as you may remember, uh, um, I was just born then. I guess you were just born. Sorry. <laughs> what, what am I saying? Uh, How dare you? <laughs> I do apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I forget you're that much younger than me. So. You can um, be my dad. Thanks. Yeah, no, yeah. Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you've derailed me. Now. Uh, <laughs> you is my Sorry, son. Oh, 94. 94. 94 was the, the birth yeah. of, of the web, uh, as obviously everyone knows. Um, so yeah. if, you, if you started in marketing, uh, you know, fresh out of college, uh, university in 94, uh, the web you, you kind of couldn't ignore. Um, and at the time, most people who were working within the uh, creative teams that I was working with 
uh, were very much of the traditional ilk. So you had your copywriter uh, partnered up with your art worker, um, and it was words and images. Um, and I had just started working in marketing, and I had always fancied myself a bit of a creative as well. Who are you working for? You say you're in marketing, but who are you working for? Yeah, so for? this is a big publishing company that's uh, subsequently been sold and is part of, uh, I think, the Informer Group now. Okay. Um, who own multiple publications. But they, but they had a number of uh, publications also in healthcare as well. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the connection to a degree with healthcare, although I, I left. I'll come on to that a bit later. Yeah. But anyway, the, the point being that um, if you worked in marketing and you, you fancied yourself as a bit of a creative, there was this whole new world opening up for you at the time that was, that was the non-traditional creative route, if you will. Um, and I can't think of a better description than that, actually. So you had some great uh, creatives coming through that were, were working in interactive media. Um, yeah. So there was people like Hillman Curtis, uh, who, if you've not heard of, please look him up. I mean, he's just a genius. And, and yeah. he was working with uh, companies like Macromedia, who produced a, a software package called Flash. I'm sure you remember Flash. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the web that at that time, particularly in 94, looked pretty much like CFAX. You know, it was, yeah. it was really dull. Um, but, you know, there was these great new technologies coming through, pioneered by some fantastic uh, new media, uh, as it were called then, uh, digital pioneers like like Hillman, um, and the, and the web suddenly took on a completely different life. It became an interactive, you know, rich media, immersive environment, and so I kind of latched onto that, um, and I got to work with some really great uh, creatives uh, over the next sort of five or six years within that that publishing firm. And by the end of that period, I had worked out that actually I was pretty good at developing digital content. Um, oh, but, right. but with the marketing edge, and, and, and the reason why I make that point is because everything I was doing was about the bottom line. So we, we were producing online presences uh, to, to sell product. Um, so it was creative with a lowercase c, I would argue, um, mm. to, to actually sell brands, sell products in a specific okay. way. Um, and then after that period of time, I, I, I had a great time working there. I got to set up a shop in New York as part of the publishing firm um, and, you know, get some experience in North America there as well. Uh, I, I decided to set up an agency. So I set up an agency um, and uh, we, we actually did nothing in healthcare because at the time digital was just light years ahead of where the pharmaceutical industry was. Um, and, and it very much looked down upon uh, the, the online space. It was, it was a, a very much a, a wild west of the economy, I think Bill Clinton called yeah. it at the time. So just going back a little bit, so yeah. when you said you set up um, an, uh, another sort of office in New York, what, were you, mm. what, what was your role back then? Were you still a marketing director? Was it slightly different? What was yeah, your role so I was then? running a team of, uh, I, I what we called it, I think it's called the Online Project Coordinator. It was a right. ridiculous job title. But, you know, I had about five or six people working for me who were just you know, graphic designers and uh, technologists, developers. Uh, okay. building online presence and, and, and lots of digital collateral. Um, so what, where are we now, about 2001? Yeah, no, just like before that. that. So it's about 2000, and, and you're getting into okay. dot-com bubble era as well. So okay. the, the web's really starting to take off uh, in terms of the money and the interest. Um, but, of course, 2001 comes along, and uh, I've just set up an agency and the bubble bursts, uh, which okay. was – which was really, uh, it was really touch and go for a while there, actually. 
So what was that agency called? So that was Madnet. Uh, Madnet. Yeah, great name. Um, That's a good name. That's a really good name. Yeah, well, it was until we got a mental health client and uh, we, <laughs> we had to not have a... Uh, a credit on that piece of work but um anyway so, so, so sorry just so i understand so you 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 in 2000 you said right i'm going to go and do this on my own yeah. and i'm going to set up madnet yeah so how do you actually do that talk me because you make it sound so effortless it's like you just get up one day and you just do it can yeah. you just tell me actually how you do it because i think for a lot of people who are working in a lot of agencies they can probably relate to a lot of things that you've just said working mm. with teams you're looking at a new environment you're going into it you're doing all this great work you're going you know to new york and you you know you're going around the world and then how do you how do you how does somebody actually go from that world to then going you know what i'm gonna go and set my own thing up how do you do it and, and what happens? I, it's, it's a really good question. Um, and uh, I think I got lucky, uh, if I'm totally honest. I think uh, sublime arrogance, I think, uh, when you're in your <laughs> late 20s, you just right. think you're, you're brilliant. You know? And you've, you've, you're flush with success from having done some stuff. Um, yeah. And you think, yeah, I can, I can do this. This isn't that difficult. And then in the first year of, of doing that, to, to get to nitty gritty, you, you suddenly realize there are so many things that you have to become quite expert at. I mean, not just proficient, quite expert at. Uh, and that is that you, you're not doing work most of the time. You're actually going out and talking to potential clients. You're, you're selling yourself and the agency, uh, which is extremely difficult if you've been part of a bigger organization. You know, you're, you're, you're quite naked at that point, you know, because mm. you're selling yourself ultimately yeah. and, and a few other people. The other things you have to get really good at are understanding just the fundamentals of things like VAT and returns yeah. and, and, uh, and setting yourself up with companies' house. I mean, these are not necessarily massively onerous or difficult, but uh, within six months, you, you realize how important that, that team that you used to look down upon in finance and think, oh, all they do is you know, dealing with numbers. Actually, no, they do a fabulous job and it's extremely yeah. difficult. So you yeah. have to do all of that. And then, you know, you have to start looking at, you know, premises and, and then hiring people. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you go from two to four people, for example, and the costs literally treble. They don't double. They treble. Something weird happens at scale at that mm. sort of size. It gets a lot better when you get over about 10 or 15 people. But yeah. when it's that small, every little increase is yeah. massive. Yeah. Um, and it affects you, you know, like cash flow, for example. You know, I, I set up the first agency with £20,000 of savings um, mm. and ate into that in about, you know, three months, I think, as in yeah. like decimated it. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of, of effort there. But I, I think, uh, you know, maybe I'm being a bit unfair on myself. Sublime arrogance. Yes, I thought I was good and I thought I could do it. But it was also a drive and a passion and a belief to, to do whatever it takes. Um, yeah. And so you roll your sleeves up and, and you do, you know, you, you hoover the, the office when you know an important client's coming in that day. Um, yeah. and, and you make sure that uh, you've got everything uh, neat and perfect for, for, for that pitch. It just the, everything goes up a notch. Um, but it's ultimately it's incredibly worthwhile. You, you, you get a, addicted to that, I think. And I'm, I'm actually on. It's not my second agency now. It's my third agency. Third. Wow. Um, and and the buzz of actually being in control of your own destiny and those of people that work with you and seeing their careers grow within yeah. your agency is just it's, it's it's narcotic. I mean, you you yeah. do become addicted to it. I think. And and do you think? Because interestingly, you started off by saying you know you didn't go through the classic. Um, 
sort of creative route of mm. maybe going to an art school mm. and when you worked for the publishers you know you were very sort of aware and conscious of the bottom line and I suppose ultimately knowing how to make money mm. and understanding the, you know the role of finances and the role of a business because in the end mm. we're all in a creative industry but mm. we're in a business right and without money there are no briefs and there are no awards and there, there isn't anything you know one drives the other the other and the other thing drives the money I guess it's sort of like yeah. a circle and do you think that that sort of background in in sort of understanding the business side of things first may, basically made you have that extra confidence to go I could probably do this I think probably yes I think I think if you have a, an appreciation for uh, actually return on investment and uh, how to build out uh, whatever it is a profit and loss department let's call it that um, yeah. It gives you a really keen understanding of uh, what you need to do to make something a commercial success. And, and always having an eye, but not to the detriment of the work that you're doing, I think is, is the, the real difficulty. And, you, and we all see this in, in all of our jobs. You know, I don't think there's any creative director who's you know, released from the shackles of financial obligation. You know, everybody has to have an eye on where the next... Uh, paycheck is coming from um, mm. and it's getting that balance right between you know taking the job because it's going to pay the salaries and taking the job because it's a great job to yeah. do I mean we, you know the mantra we've always had and I know this is not unique to us but you know you're very familiar with the three f's of an agency is fun fame and fortune you know yeah. and if if every client gave you all three we'd all be super happy right um, <laughs> but you know yeah. the, the rule yeah. is it's got to be at least two of the three so yeah. if it's not fun, it's going to be fame and fortune. Thanks very much. Yeah. And so yeah, on and yeah, so yeah. forth. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So so Madnet happens. Then what, ha then what goes on? So uh, Madnet uh, was, was a crazy time. Um, and we were working for some, for some really interesting clients. Obviously, the dot-com bubble didn't help too much. But 2001, I remember, being interesting because uh, we picked up Panasonic as a client. And that was Panasonic uh, European account. Uh, oh, wow. And that that's that's that kept us solvent first and foremost. Yeah. Um, but then we also picked up a load of music clients. So we were working for uh, people like Bjork, um, oh, wow. Mother Records, Long Pigs, and uh, all sorts of other things. Um, and uh, what were you doing for these clients? So yeah, good question. We were building out their online presence and okay. and lots of digital assets. So back in those days, a lot of the uh, the CDs. Oh my God, uh, music CDs and DVDs <laughs> and things like that. Told you could be my dad. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> they had like bonus material on the, oh, on the yeah. digital format. So so we were building out digital uh, content that uh, you know, complemented the artists. You know, main work, which is their, their music. But you know, yeah, building Bjork's website for me was still a massive highlight. Uh, of that. Yeah. Did you meet her? Yeah, briefly. Well, it was a photo shoot back in the day. Um, and yeah, I'm not saying anything, but uh, it, was, it was really <laughs> interesting. I'm a massive fan as well. So it, yeah. was, it, was, it was quite quite an amazing time. So we had some a really nice mix of, of quite corporate clients who, uh, again, back to fun, fame, and fortune. Maybe not so much fun, but there was a lot of fame and fortune that came from that. Yeah. And then we had these music, um, uh, you know, clients who typically we were working with the record labels and artist management to, to build out these online presses. And it was just absolutely brilliant. So after a while of doing that, uh, I had two partners in that business um, okay. and I, I, I bought them out. They, they, they had invested some into the business. I bought them out and I rebranded re in effect. 
Uh, And I called it DJM because Madnet was Martin Alex Dominic. Okay. Uh, And then I I, I became totally egomaniacal and went, no, it's just (laughs) about me. So DJM is my interest. I see. And interestingly, did you you have clients before you started Madnet or did you start Madnet with nothing? Oh, really good point. No, absolutely nothing. Um, And I remember the first, uh, you know, three months as we're ripping through that £20,000. Um, and that, that, by the way, is the worst feeling ever when you yeah. set up an agency and you just see funds depleting uh, yeah. and, and you've not got any, any, any client, you haven't got any work. Um, yeah. And every day you have to motivate yourself to get up and go and talk to people and try and win that work. So, no, we, we had no clients and it was, uh, it was a slog. And you're just calling yeah. people up randomly. Is that how, you, how it works? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I knew quite a few people from the publishing gig that I'd, I'd done. Um, yeah. So there was a couple of people that I, I knew who were really good at introducing you to other people. There, there's always people in your life. I'm sure, Shahid, you've got people like this within, within your agency and people that you know that are just brilliant at, at networking and facilitating conversations. And yeah. you're never quite sure what skin in the game they've got, um, but they, they just make things happen and, and make those perfect introductions that turn into business. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of cold calling. And just, like I said, you know, having the determination and the belief, again, sublime arrogance or just total belief that you will make it, it keeps you going. And, uh, you know, as always happens, you know, you, you get lucky. Uh, and once you get lucky, then you start to make your own luck, I think. And winning the Panasonic account for us was a massive turning point because yeah. the dot-com bubble had burst. Uh, 9-11 had happened as well. And yeah. we, had, uh, we had three conference companies as clients. Um, so not the most glamorous of creative work by any stretch. Uh, mm. But then we had all these music clients, which kept, kept us in the... Uh, uh, doing some really great creative work, um, but losing those three uh, conference companies, which which went bust almost overnight because of nine eleven, by the way, because no one wow. was getting on an aeroplane um, yeah. at that time. Yeah. And you can imagine if your whole business is reliant on international travel, but yeah. you go out of business, and so do your suppliers. And yeah. if we hadn't have got Panasonic in the latter part of two thousand and one, we we would have definitely had to rethink. Wow. So, and so, so you were still playing the creative director role at this point still, or, or how did yeah, that work? I, again, I, I was doing everything, you know, I mean, I was, right. I was literally, again, truth be told, we were uh, going out, meeting the uh, clients, taking briefs a lot of the time, to be honest, uh, to, to, to describe exactly what that kind of work was. And then going back, sw- switching the Mac on and, and, doing the work that, w- that answered the brief. Um, right. But again, it was a crazy time. So, you know, you would be uh, working with a videographer one minute to create some, some great digital footage of, I don't know, a behind the scenes of a, a photo shoot or behind the scenes mm. of, a, of a music video. Uh, and then, you know, you'd be going into your Mac and you'd edit that and then you'd show it to the record label and then they'd have some comments and tweaks and changes. And then the next day you'd be putting together some, uh, artwork for a poster or for a sleeve cover or for uh, the website. Um, so you'd be working in totally different formats and media from day to day, you know, video to still to, to web to interactive. Um, and I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, and, and, and interestingly, at that moment in time, definitely after 2001, this, this new kind of breed of creative came along, the creative technologist, you know, the guy who could quite easily – you know, jump from Photoshop Illustrator InDesign 
into uh, Macromedia Flash, or as it was then, it was Adobe right. uh, yeah. Animate, uh, or whatever it was called then, I forgot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, and a director as well, you know, all these interactive tools, and at the same time could jump onto uh, Adobe Premiere, although I don't know if Premiere existed then, but, you know, Final Cut, I think everyone was using, just the video yeah. editing uh, software, and, and, you know, start making films. So it was it was just a crazy time for for creatives and and I think what I really enjoyed about that period of time was um, seeing uh, building a studio. I mean, we were, we had a studio about two thousand and one of about five people, um, all were multimedia designers, if you will, and right. we, we, they, we we were all blagging it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, we we had some understand. We we knew the tools. We, we, okay, we, technically we were very proficient, but were we creatives? Yeah. I, I'm not sure we were okay. um but we were we were doing great creative work and learning as we went along we're talking what 17 years ago yeah god yeah i was around obviously back then and i don't remember you know much of these creative technologists or multimedia people it was still the sort of very classic agencies doing classic work and mm. it does feel like you were very much ahead of the game at that time which I, I guess maybe attracted the likes of panasonic and um and other companies to you because i guess you you, you were probably like a, a handful of agencies around who were kind of in this in this space yeah it was an interesting time because it, again you know th- there were new words coming around at that period you know digital yeah. agency for example was yeah. you know who the hell had heard of a digital agency i mean you yeah. had you had some really great agencies coming through like dare and glue yeah. um yeah. and uh, and there were these there was these fabulous awards and they're still running uh, the fwa awards yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the work, actually you've won one, haven't you? I've just remembered. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is your podcast, yeah. not my podcast. No, you're already um, <laughs> So yeah, but the FWA was showcasing just amazing work from, from digital agencies. And there was this real kind of, I guess, sort of slightly underground feeling about yeah. running a digital agency at the time mm. with mm. some, you know, some amazing, you're in great company. There's, a, there's an agency called the North Kingdom uh, yeah, or North amazing. Kingdom. And yeah, yeah. the work they yeah. do, they came out of Stockholm. That's right, yeah. And the work, yeah. they've got offices in LA now, but they, they were yeah. a pure play digital agency. And I yeah. guess where we worked well as well, um, particularly coming back to healthcare for a bit, because around about that time when I'd set up DJM, uh, we, we did start to go back into healthcare because there was, you know, healthcare being at least five years behind everyone else, typically, yeah, had yeah. kind of caught up a bit and was looking to find good digital uh, development agencies, creative agencies, call it what you like, to, mm. to, to bring their, their branded messages or, or, or otherwise to, to, the, to, to the new digital world. Um, so we would work invariably alongside the big creative agency uh, as the digital partner. Okay, um, and that that was that again was a really good learn because uh, you suddenly realise how important the value of the big idea is, um, yeah. and uh, you start to work with some. I mean, we work with all of the big agencies then um, on on a huge amount of campaigns, both in healthcare and outside of healthcare. Um, and yeah, got to work with some great creative directors. And how does that happen then? So you sort of bought your your other, your two other partners out. You now DJM. Mm. Um, you're kind of in, as you say, in this sort of underground collective of all these other little amazing digital 
agencies mm. around like North Kingdom, Dare and Glue. Mm. How do you then actually approach these healthcare agencies and go, hey, do you want to work with us? Do you, again, just pick up the phone? Did you know anyone? Who told you that that might have been a, you know, a, a direction for the business? I mean, how, how do you actually do that? Yeah, okay. Again, so as with all these things, it's a lot of luck. <laughs> um, I had a client, uh, Coca-Cola, um, right. So there was this guy called Ash who was a great, great client. And I'd worked with him previously at uh, Unilever. And then right. he'd gone to Coke and he'd taken us with him as a, as a digital creative agency. And then he jumped ship from Coke and he went to GSK and he, oh. he took us with him. And so, uh, you know, I mean, a, a big, big healthcare company yeah. uh, also in London as well, which, which was, was really useful because we then got introduced to all the brand teams there. So, you know, we, had, we started to build out a body of work uh, that, uh, that had healthcare written all over it, which, as you know, once you start getting a, one healthcare client, it's, it's that much easier to then go and find the second and the third and the fourth. And, you know, I've always equated right. healthcare or pharmaceuticals a little bit like the mafia. You know, it's a family that once you're in, <laughs> you're never getting out of. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I've always enjoyed working within healthcare uh, because uh, it's, it's something where, you know, you, you actually get to, to, to do life-changing creativity uh, yeah. without becoming yeah. too worthy. You know, it's yeah. So, it's so what year are we at now then? Oh, I don't know. Um, this is probably about two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Okay. okay. Um, we partnered with a number of agencies, um, but one in particular I, I must shout out to because they were really, really fundamental to helping us go from being a boutique to actually being a, a, a bigger agency. And that that was this agency called Brand X. I don't know if you remember them. Yeah. ICC yeah, yeah. Low now. Yeah, um, but uh, they they were just totally bought into to what we were doing, um, and and the compliment was was great. They had a really good creative director there, uh, a guy called Tom Gordon, who was just great fun to work with. Uh, Mike Young was the the main guy in the agency. Ilo Gona Patel was the MD, um, and they really bought into uh, the fact that a digital agency could complement and augment what they were doing as a full service. Yeah agents yeah so yeah and and then at uh, 2000 and uh, let's jump forward a bit otherwise this is going to be become too turgid <laughs> 2010 2010 okay. was a big year uh 2010 uh we uh we took over a disused victorian warehouse in richmond and we converted it into the studios of richmond and cool. downstairs was a a fully uh soundstage lit everything uh wet studio um green screen studio uh and upstairs was the creative team and the accounts team and it was just the most amazing space ever i've worked yeah. in and it was yeah. ours and it was just like wow and we we started to do some really really great work uh again at that period of time and, and we started to work directly with client as well um, and in 2010, we started to do creative projects where we were coming up with the big idea. We were the lead agency. And that, that was a turning point because up until then, we'd always been the digital agency. You know, we'd originated, yeah. but we hadn't really done the big idea. Um, and then far it's forward. Interestingly, oh, just to sort of pause here for a bit, because this is almost a decade on, mm. I guess, mm. from when you, you started MadNet. And it, it feels like a sort of a really lovely story of, of growth 
not just financially, but just you as a person, mm-hmm. the context that you have, your client base, and you know, you'd now in this sort of I, I ima- I'm again I'm just sort of imagining I'm just you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here but the moment you went into these studios at Richmond and you sort of had this incredible space mm. what was the feeling like knowing that you'd been on this deck because a decade is a milestone in anyone's life right mm. in anyone's career mm. was there a moment of reflection and if you if there was a moment of reflection what was it yeah it, I, I can tell you exactly the moment exactly the moment because uh, we took uh, possession of this uh, this warehouse in I think it was November December um, and uh, honestly it was a hull you know it, there were dead yeah. pigeons squatters had left mattresses <laughs> there you could see the heavens through the, uh, the right. ceiling um, and uh, and my wife uh, thought I was insane um, most of the people in the agency thought I'd really gone mental um, and uh, and and I, I I had got these this build company uh, to come in and redo the place, and in January I mean really short turnaround in January they worked ever so hard and we threw a lot of money at it but they worked ever so hard to get this place looking looking great and I had a little office of my own at the end of the the upstairs bit uh, which was just fabulous you know huge windows overlooking um, a school on the other side of the the road. And that school was my school when I was five years old. And oh, wow. I remembered looking at this building, uh, you know, in double maths or whatever you did when you're five, probably not double yeah. maths, um, and thinking, God, that's an amazing building. And I just remember looking back at kind of my old self, so to speak, or, or yeah. my five-year-old self looking out of one of those windows, just thinking, God, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I've come a long way, and yet I'm still back where I grew up. Um, yeah. And I, I do recall that like yesterday, that moment of just reflection and going, geez, a lot's happened, and it's, and it's, and it's still lots more to happen. So to come back okay. to the, yeah. what, what more Sorry. happened. Uh, so 2012, uh, I struck a deal with uh, Creston um, and, uh, in November of 2012. So uh, we carried on staying in the vineyard, working uh, in this, this the studios of Richmond, um, and uh, and we built the proposition out further. Um, we then opened up a shop in New York again, 115th Avenue. Uh, Creston had a uh, an agency already in in New York, uh, so we we just set up a shop there with uh, with a couple of people, and the the agency flourished. It was great, um, and we were working as part of a, a group of you know, complementary agencies. We had a med ed agency, a PR agency. We had a US uh, comms offering, um, and we carried on doing what we did. Um, and as you go through earnout, obviously things change, people change. Uh, we carried on doing what we we're doing, but we merged with uh, a an ad agency, Pan Advertising, um, and that was that again was a huge learning experience. Uh, probably one of the mo- most tough experiences I've ever had to do as a, as a managing director as I was then. Um, Why, what, what made it so difficult? Just the, the cultural difference between a, a digital agency that's kind of moving into doing full service and a, a very traditional advertising agency. Uh, and, they, and they were very, very traditional. And there was some great talent there. I mean, really, really good talent. And uh, I guess one of my biggest failings is not retaining a lot of that talent because right. I've seen them go off and, and they've all gone off and done extremely well, I'm pleased to say. Uh, yeah. But I, I wish we'd been able to retain 
a few more of those those uh, those uh, talented individuals to, to to continue working with DJ M Pan as it was then as then called. Yeah. So that that's a great that's a great experience. Anyone that's been through a, an acquisition or or a merger, there are huge learnings on that part, and and you get to to discover things about yourself and and those around you that you'll never get to learn in any other environment. So if you don't mind, it'd be just really. I think interesting for a lot of people just mm. to pick your brains a little bit yeah. in terms of from the moment of 2010, you said you, you sort of, you know, had a, had a deal with Creston in 2012, sorry, 2012. Mm. Was the plan always to sell? And if it was, how do you go about selling? Mm. The, the plan was not always to sell. Um, but okay. I, I had, I had a, a bit of an epiphany at 2010 when I'm looking at my old self, as a five-year-old across the road yeah. and I'm going, I wonder if I've taken this agency as far as I can, you know, and right. we were 35, 36 people. Um, yeah. and it, you know, we were doing well financially, we were doing well, but I, I just couldn't help but think the only way we could go to the next level was to be part of something bigger. Um, right. and of course there was a financial motivation as well. You, you, you do want to, you know, get a bit of payback for all the hard work that you've put into building something. But I, I'm completely honest, it wasn't about the money, really. It was about taking it further and, and you know, possibly building a legacy. But, you know, just to keep everything going in the right direction, it felt right. Um, and that was the that was the primary motivation for, for the sale. Okay. So then what do you do? Do you just pick up the phone again and call people? Or how does that work? So, uh, yeah, I mean, without disclosing too much, there'd been some interest from a few different people all oh, right um, okay but uh i i it's really interesting i did just walk down the road because they they were also in richmond and i just oh. started having a chat with some some people about you know how one might go about becoming a bit more formalized in terms of partnership and then the next thing you know li- lawyers are involved and, and you're talking about heads of agreement and uh, i mean that that's again that's an incredible experience to, to sell an agency all the stuff you have to go through, the due diligence. I, mean, I really don't think people appreciate how big that that process is. The, the, Why don't you tell us what happens? Well, I mean, it's terminally dull, but I'll, I'll keep it quite brief. <laughs> okay. um, there's, the, you know, somebody like Price Waterhouse gets involved, and they they go through all of your books. They check, you know, make sure that you're uh, you're valid. You haven't got, you know, any hidden uh, yeah. skeletons in your tax closet or otherwise. Um, and there's lots of uh, you know, looking under the bonnet to make sure that, you know, staff are happy, that your clients are all, aren't all going to just up and leave when you, when you sell. Um, yeah. There's there's a huge amount of negotiation between lawyers to discuss, you know, funnily enough, not, not really the money, but more, you know, what happens if, you know, uh, Dom were to leave after two months, you know, all of right. that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, and then you get this massive document. Uh, which is an SPA, a share purchase agreement. And it's just a huge document that yeah. has been, you know, argued, discussed, whatever, you know, refined over about six months. And then you sign it and have a glass of champagne and, and then money is transferred. And, and all of a sudden you're, you're owned by somebody else. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's kind of a summarized version of what happens. Do you feel any different when you've you've sold? Okay, you feel richer, but do do you feel fundamentally any different? No, not really. It takes however long the earnout is for you to kind of settle into that that new structure and, and and understand exactly what it means. And I I think the other thing is a lot of people and you've seen this yourself, I'm sure. We'll talk about uh, acquisitions or mergers. 
often this is the kind of the horror story that you hear. It's like, oh, well, they're never the same great agency once they've been acquired or yeah. it was really painful for the owners and all the rest. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, I'm sure it happens quite often. It is incredibly painful and everybody hates working for that agency in the end. But it certainly wasn't for me. Um, I very much enjoyed it. I learned so much. I learned so much about what mm-hmm. it means to be part of something that employs a couple of thousand people rather than, you know, 35. Um, that that was just amazing. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds amazing. And, uh, you know, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but once mm. you'd signed that check and you, you know, finished your glass of champagne, mm. what did you, did you buy anything? Like, did you do something a little bit extravagant with all this money? What was the first thing that you did with it? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a walking cliche. <laughs> I went out and bought a stupid sports car. I, I bought another house and did lots of stupid things like that. Um, but, but actually my, my wife is very sensible. So kind of <laughs> grounded me a little bit. Um, Okay. So I, didn't, I didn't buy a brand new sports car. Let's put it like that. It was second hand. Okay. Um, but but I, I what think, was it? Uh, I I think that one was the yeah. I bought a nine eleven turbo at the time, which I absolutely loved, and I wish yeah. I hadn't got gotten rid of. But uh, let's not get into cars and stuff because okay, yeah, oh, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. Um, but yeah, God, it's so cliche, isn't it? You know, oh, sold your agency, go buy a Porsche. Jesus Christ. Um, but what, what the one thing that I did uh, really, really uh, enjoy about that as well was that p- part of the the, uh, the deal was that the people that worked within the agency, even though they didn't have equity, they, they also got a, a slice of the pie as well. Oh, great. And I th- I th- I'm you know really, really proud of that, 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 yeah. that actually the money didn't just go to the, the, the big cheeses that sit at the top. And yeah. you know, actually those that helped build the agency enjoyed some of the fruits of that, of that, that, that win as well. And so when did you leave, um, when did you leave it all then? What year was that? So 2017, uh, I completed, um, okay. and I left uh, the business, uh, to bring this to, to ARC. Um, I started working for a charity called the Childhood Trust. And, and the one thing I really wanted to do, I've been talking to them for a couple of years and I'd never had the time to do any work, and which is shameful, but that's what happens when you're in an earnout. You become extremely self-conscious about your own work. So yeah. I managed to, 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 to carve out a campaign for the Childhood Trust, and it was their Christmas campaign. And basically, they had seven days in the run-up to Christmas where uh, charities, uh, certain charities uh, have any donations made in that seven-day period matched by the government. So pound for pound, they will uh, match the donations that, uh, that they can generate. And so we, we got to run, or rather I got to run, because it was just me, uh, I got to run a campaign that tested out data-driven creativity. And I'd always been interested in how you could use data to make creative better. Um, yeah. And that, that's pretty much what data-driven creativity is about. I mean, there's more complexity to it, but really that's that's kind of what it, yeah. what it boils down to. And so we got to uh, run a number of different concepts past quite a decent-sized group of uh, friendly faces, shall we say. And all we're looking for was uh, the the output to be that they would be willing to donate from having seen these campaigns. So we went from a number of campaigns down to a selection of campaigns, and then we whittled it yet further. And then we created this one campaign called Pets versus Kids. And <laughs> within Pets versus Kids, there were multiple variations. And, and by the way, the insight here was that um, the uh, average family pet in the UK receives... Uh, more in terms of financial over Christmas than a million impoverished kids that live in London. 
which is a oh terrible statistic. So hence yeah. pets versus kids. It was a bit controversial. And we, we thought there might be a bit of a PR backlash on this because <laughs> people yeah. saying, I, I still love my cat and dog. It's like, well, yeah, that's yeah. not the point. Anyway. <laughs> so we built this campaign um, and it had uh, eight versions of the core creative concept. Um, so it's, it's proper A-B testing, if you will. And we have yeah. seven days and we've literally got it across London. I mean, it's on all the digital channels, but it's also a lot of out of home and we've got some some good coverage in, in uh, on TV as well. But it's, it's a great campaign and we're testing everything. So everything in this seven-day period is being tested to, for effectiveness. And all we mean by effectiveness is how much is it getting people to the donate page. So a really yeah. hard metric, how much is this app yeah. making? Um, and at day four, we could see that if we didn't change the media inventory at all, we could just kept the assets as they were, we were going to make 1.2 million, 1.25 million quid. Um, And the previous year, the campaign had made just under a million. It made 900,000. So we're already ahead of uh, of what we did the previous year or what the previous campaign was. Um, But, and this is the real power of data-driven creativity, we realized that if we change the media inventory to just the highest performing ad, that Mm. we would go from 1.25 to 1.5. Well, that's a big jump. So yeah. that's predictive analysis using data. So we changed the media inventory to this one, uh, one so you know, high performing ad, and we actually made one point five six, I think it was in the end, million pounds in seven days, and and that was that was it for me then. That was the case study yeah. that launched Arc. Amazing. As soon as I came out of restricted covenants, I went right. This is what we're doing. We're setting up an agency where data at the heart of yeah. how we build our creative process. It still yeah. doesn't mean that you you can't focus on the creative. And I, I think I need to get that across. Data-driven creativity sounds terminally dull in isolation. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like, it's almost like AI, isn't it? It's kind of like AI right. designing your ad, uh, which yeah. I know is happening, but I, I'm not convinced. Uh, but you still need to have great creativity. It's just how you use data to refine it, improve it, and you know yeah. assess performance. And I, I, just an anecdote on that: there were of these eight different executions. I had a favourite, and I, one um, by favourite, one I thought would yield the most amount of money. The yeah. client had a favourite, and and he thought would would perform the best. And we were both wrong. And I I <laughs> love that. I love yeah. the fact that there is there is no magic you know, creative director out there that can predict what will perform the best. Yeah. You, you put yeah, your best yeah, foot yeah. forward, but you, you, you've got to look at some of the data to refine it. But I think it's a great journey, isn't it? I mean, as you say, it came from a true insight that was quite shocking. I mean, just you saying, you know, pets receive more more donations than, than impoverished kids mm. living in the city that you live in mm. is just quite, it's shocking, isn't it? And mm. so that that is an idea of, you know, pets versus kids is just amazing. It's just fantastic. But the fact that you can be so responsive in, in real time mm. with, you know, whether people are donating more on one one execution versus the other mm. is is just fantastic. And it makes perfect sense because, you know, it's like a domino effect, isn't it? Without, you know, the insight, without and a really, really brilliant idea. A lot of those things, a lot of those things, wouldn't happen in the first place anyway. You know, so yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I, you know, I think I think a lot of uh, the wariness about data being used in the creative process uh, is around the fact that it 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 kind of demystifies possibly 
how yeah. a creative campaign is pulled together. And I, I think, it, you know, the, the creativity is creativity. How you use the tools around you to improve it or finesse it or make it better yeah. performing is probably the more accurate description is, yeah. is, is, is interesting, but that's all it is. It's just about making things work a bit harder. That's all it is. Yeah. No, for sure, for sure. So, so then you kicked off Arc. Yeah. Um, and how did that happen? So, uh, yeah, th- this time round uh, was interesting because uh, with the with Arc, um, obviously, uh, I wanted to work within healthcare again. I mean, the previous agencies we'd, we'd gone, as I said, referring back to the mafia. Once you're in, you're never leaving. Um, yeah. You know, if you know a bunch of people as you do now, after you know. Seven, several years in the industry, you can start to, to ask those people if, if they'd be interested in this new offering. Um, and the thing I was absolutely staggered with was I went to a number of clients, uh, quite a few clients, or sorry, potential clients, and I, I gave them this case study of the Childhood Trust. And I said, look, that's, that's what we're doing, and we're going to do it in healthcare. And I, I thought, genuinely thought, a lot of people go, well, that's really interesting, but it doesn't really apply to healthcare. And also the idea of doing eight different versions of a pharmaceutical ad, God, do you imagine having to get eight different ads signed off by yeah. MLR? You know, that's, that's yeah. just not going to happen, Don. But amazingly, yeah. we've got three really big accounts in pharma now, all using data-driven creativity uh, at the heart of it. And I, honestly, I think the... The willingness to do so is because uh, of the financial difficulties that a lot of our clients find themselves in. They, they have to prove that if they're going to invest in a campaign, that it's going to work and it's going to work yeah. well. And I think it's, yeah. it's born out of a, a frustration that many of the campaigns that they've worked on in the past haven't necessarily yielded the fruits that they had hoped or they, they just don't know as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and are those clients um, local clients or are they still, you know, global ones? Because I think that's where the challenge comes, doesn't it? Where a lot of mm. clients will work with big agencies and they, in the end, all they really want is a toolkit, don't they? Yeah. It sort of has a, as a bunch of assets yeah. and they just sort of, you know, upload them somewhere on an intranet system, hoping that at some point these, these different markets will use them. And there's, it's very rare to actually find out what they're using, what's working, how to make it better, how to make it culturally appropriate mm. or audience appropriate. Because, you know, everyone's, everyone thinks there's just a one mold for a specialism and that's it. And so, yeah, I mean, so is it more of a local market that your, that your clients are in at the moment or is it, are you moving this to a global model? Right. And if you are, how are you doing okay, that? Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm glad you brought up the global versus local thing. So um, most most of the clients are global, but we do have two uh, in in the UK that, okay. that, that, that are purely focused on UK and Ireland uh, work. Um, but let's come back to global versus local. So the, the, the data-driven piece um, for the, the big global account that we won last summer um, is the interesting thing, for, for me at least anyway, and hopefully for, for your listeners. Um, the, the, the testing phase of that global campaign was exactly like Childhood Trust. We had a load of different uh, big ideas that we whittled down to a few. And then we had uh, theme and variation, A-B testing within that. And so when we tested the campaign, it wasn't just uh, you know two or three hero uh, creatives. It was two or three hero creatives with theme and variation of them as well. And uh, when we tested, because it was, a, uh, it was actually top five EU actually, uh, remit. Uh, we tested with uh, a number of uh, experts in that, that field of medicine 
in those top five EU. And we found we had a clear winner in terms of a campaign, but there was local variation within that. So, for example, Germany preferred A, whereas UK and France preferred B. Um, right. And the, the campaigns, exactly like Pets versus Kids, and if anybody wants to see the case study of Pets versus Kids, it's at arc.agency, little plug there. Um, That's great. The, you go and check it out. But it's exactly the same. So uh, what, what Global was able to do was to say, look, here's the Global campaign, and, and we've tested it, and it's, it's really tested extremely well. But there's local market variation within it. The creative is exactly the same, but with minor tweaks. So Germany, right. you can use this version instead. Okay. And that, that I thought was just amazing because that, that was a real – I've never done that before. I've never seen that done before. It's always yeah. been a case of here's the big global idea, right, we're going to run with this. And local markets, you know, the usual 80-20 rule, 80% of the campaign you cannot touch, 20% you, you flex for a bit of local variation. But when yeah. you've got data that suggests that testing that, that, that the local markets actually do need something slightly different, and we're not talking massive differences, just slightly tweaking it, but, but the creative mm. is fundamentally changed at that stage rather than when it goes into local markets' hands. So yeah. th- th- for them, it's, it's a home run. They don't have to you know, do the usual of moan about how global have given them something that's just culturally not going to work in their market. It's been tested, and, and this, yeah. yeah, you're right, that one didn't work quite as well for your market, so here's one that does. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Um, so it's been about what a year and a half since Arc. No, right? no, no, no. April the thirtieth was when I uh, set up Arc, um, and uh, in the summer that followed, then you know, five people came and joined, and we've grown since then. So it's been incredibly interesting. And and what what I find exciting about it this time round is that it's taken us less than a year to get to what took me seven years with DJM. Wow. Um, in terms of you know number of clients, financials, and everything else, so I, I definitely think it's it. Uh, come back to what I said at the beginning. It's like a drug. You know, once you've yeah. done it, you kind of got to keep doing it. It's, it's just <laughs> highly addictive. Um, wow. I mean, I must say you've you've been incredibly articulate and and concise and really for me anyway, really really inspirational in terms of your journey and what you've done. And I think the easiest thing that you probably obviously a lot of people who sell their agencies could do is just put their feet up and just you know chill out on an island somewhere but the fact that you've just got back back into it shows that there's a real desire to drive change to have that sort of entrepreneurial spirit to you know create careers create jobs and do something different and to disrupt i guess disrupt an industry that needs disrupting like you were doing back in 2001 um so i just yeah, thank you for that. It was just really, really awesome. Yeah, no, thank you. I, and I have to say congratulations for being a president at uh, Can Lines. Uh, oh, Can thanks. Lines Health. <laughs> much, <laughs> thanks. Much deserved. And I, I think, you know, having met you first at Can Lines Health, uh, I, I definitely, uh, without making this a big loving, I, I definitely recognize that, that that was one of the most creative people I, I think I've ever had the fortune of uh, sitting alongside. And I think when we were in the judging uh, room there was a lot of commonality of thinking uh, so yeah wish you all the best with that no thank you and uh, you know if you're out there we'll go for another swim oh yeah <laughs> oh god yeah yeah um i mean is there anything else you want to talk about is there any like um any any sort of tips or highlight any other highlights or anything else you want to chat about that you want in this podcast um, i mean the only thing i i would love to do is to talk to other people that have an interest in data-driven creativity. And uh, I, I guess um, I'm, I'm, 
I'm absolutely over the moon at the reception that it's had within the industry. I, I genuinely didn't think people were going to either get it or warm to it. I, I, yeah. I thought I actually asked a few people, obviously, as you do before you launch a new agency, you know, what they thought of it. And, and these are agency folk. And everybody said they thought it was a great idea, but it was way ahead of its time. It just, you know, pharma wasn't ready for it. And, yeah. and, and I, so I went into this eyes wide open thinking that, God, this, this could bomb horribly. Um, yeah. what, but, but it hasn't. And, and I think what I, I'm keen to, to do now is to find other people agency side who have either an appetite to do something like this or are doing it already. Because yeah. I've not seen an agency that's doing it really well within, within healthcare. And so, yeah, I'd love to see more examples of, of this kind of yeah. work. Yeah, and I, and I think, I think you, I mean, we're in an industry that's driven by data, mm. you know, data, drugs, trials, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that clients <clears throat> are lapping this up because if the data proves that something works and, and, and converts or shifts the needle one way or another, um, they're going to buy it. It's, I suppose, I suppose the, the sort of holy grail for us is where we get to a point where we can create work that's as responsive as your pets versus kids was, mm. because obviously that was in the public domain and you, you know, you can sort of see in real time what's working best and you can, you know, at the click of a button I'm, I'm imagining can just switch one, you know, execution with another. I think the holy grail for us is where we get to that point within our within our media landscape. I mean, obviously in America, it's slightly different, mm. but XUS where, you know, we're not necessarily, our audience aren't necessarily exposed to these live ads other than being online mm. um, where we can actually do that. But I find that hugely exciting and really inspirational. And I think a lot of people listening to you um, through this, if they haven't, if they're not necessarily looking, I'm sure most agencies are looking down these avenues of, of how to do this, but just contacting you and having a chat um, could just be a really great conversation to work out how to do it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, um, and uh, we're based in Covent Garden in London. So <laughs> if anybody wants to come knocking on the door and have a chat, I'm I'm always up for yeah. coffee and a chat. Yeah. All right. That's fantastic. So, so lastly, Dom, mm. I think one question that I'd like to ask you, and I think again, I, I'm guessing a lot of people are probably thinking this too. So, I'm a creative person. I'm sat in an agency. I've been doing this for quite a while. I'm thinking about making a step into, you know, an independent agency or doing something different like you. Mm. What's your advice? Uh, do you know what? I haven't got any advice on that. I, I genuinely <laughs> don't. I, I, and i tell you why. Uh, right. Because I remember interviewing somebody a couple of years back uh, and we, I just got on brilliantly with this, this individual. And uh, we had some really good uh, mutual interests, uh, you know, professionally, um, shared a lot of experience and thinking. There was just a, just a meeting of minds, you know? And you know yeah. when you meet people like that, then uh, I think it was in your podcast from a couple of weeks ago, someone said, you're not looking for a new job, you're looking for a new partner, you know? Yeah, Matt, Matt Eastwood said yeah, that, yeah. which I, I yeah. just thought was amazing. And, yeah, and, I met, and I met this person. And I was talking to them and I was like, you, you know, we've got to work together. And we both felt like that. And it got to literally about to sign contracts and, and work together. And, uh, and this individual said, uh, do you know what? I've got, to, I've got to be honest with you. I've, been, I've got this itch I need to scratch. I want to set up my own agency. I'm thinking about doing this job with you. And it was a great job. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it was great. It was working with me, but it was, it was a good job. Well paid yeah. and all the rest. Um, but, you know, maybe I should... 
maybe I should do this with you for two or three years and then go and set up an agency. And, and I said, no, 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 go set up an agency. Because if, if, you've, if you've been wanting to do that and you've been thinking about it, you should do it yeah. because it, it's the best experience ever. Because for me, it was the best experience ever. Now, roll yeah. on a year or so, and this person has now gone back into, into full-time work. Because right. it wasn't the best experience ever. They weren't, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it just it, it didn't work. I, actually, I don't think it was them. I think that, that, again, the offering was probably a little bit too ahead of its time. Um, but, but something like that can really damage people, you know, that they set up yeah. their own agency. And for whatever reason, and invariably, you know, it's not them. It's, it's something else. I suppose it could be them. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. And, and that really hits people's confidence. You've got to be prepared to fail, I think. Yeah. That would be my yeah. only advice. If you do it, you know, like us in 2000, you know, we were going out of business. And it, mm. if it weren't for Panasonic, we'd have been out of business. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's the margin that you, 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 have to, you have to live with. It's really fine. You know, one minute you, you could be looking down the barrel of bankruptcy and the next minute you're going, right, I'm getting ready to sell the agency. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think you know, I, I think that was a really fair and a really honest answer. Um, but I think most creatives, you know, are always prepared to fail. The good creatives, anyway, are always prepared to fail in some sort of context because, you know, it's all about bringing difference and diversity to an industry and offering, you know, just different stuff rather than the same old, same old, which is what you've, you're essentially doing. And I think you're a huge, huge inspiration to, to people in our industry. So there's music, Dom, which means we've got to come to an end. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I just want to say again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. Thank you for your story and sharing it with us. Um, I've personally been hugely inspired by it, and I hope any, everyone listening to this has also been inspired by it. As Dom's plugged away, uh, if you want to get in touch with him, give him a call. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you so much, Dom. Okay. See you soon. All right, cheers. Bye-bye.